This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. If you guys are ready to study God's Word, I hope that you will turn to the book of John chapter 20. And as you're turning to John chapter 20, I want to encourage you to go to the description of today's video and download the listening guide. And that's simply a guide to allow you to take notes and follow alongside of me as I teach the scriptures this morning. And then prayerfully that you would be able to then take those notes and you could share those with a friend or family member and share with someone else what you've learned through the scriptures together with your faith family. And so if you take a look at Jesus's life at a glance, here's what we can summarize. And this is what we've learned through our study of the gospel of John thus far. Jesus came, he had divine origins and he came and entered into our existence here on earth. He lived, he lived miraculously performing many countless works that testified to his divine identity. And he also lived sinlessly being our example that we as human beings were required to live before God. He came, he lived, he died. Even secular Jewish historians from the first century testify to the fact that Jesus Christ lived and Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and there were many witnesses who watched the, 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 the seal of that tomb, the, the, the stone roll to, to seal that tomb where Jesus lay. And then on the third day, the scriptures also testify to us that Jesus came, he lived, he died, but then he lives again. The supernaturally, the heavy gravestone was rolled away. The cloths in which he was buried, they were laid and, and, and just folded in a neat pile. And Jesus walked out of the grave. And then afterwards, he appeared to hundreds of people over a 40-day period of time. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to study in more detail one of those post-resurrection appearances. And in this resurrection appearance, Jesus appears to his disciples. They're grief-stricken, they're despondent, and they're locked away in a house in fear themselves. And so this morning, we're going to tune in to John chapter 20, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 and go through verse 29. And here's what the scriptures tell us. This is the day that Jesus resurrected from the grave. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We're going to examine this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. But I also want us to see this morning, Jesus interacting with and pursuing probably the most grief-stricken and despondent of those disciples, Thomas or as he is affectionately known today as Doubting Thomas. And here's the question I'm going to ask as we get started this morning diving into the scriptures. So what happens when a resurrected Jesus encounters his grief-stricken disciples? And then fast forward 2,000 years later, what happens when someone like you also encounters this resurrected Jesus. That's what I want us to answer. That's what I want us to see as we dive into this text on Easter Sunday, 2020. So what happens when you encounter the resurrected Jesus? Well, first, Jesus will turn your fears into gladness. He will turn your fears into gladness. Look with me again at verse 19. Look at the circumstances. The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And so here's what we quickly see in the text this morning. We quickly see that we are not the first Christians on Easter Sunday to be locked inside of our homes for fear of going outside. It happened on the very first Easter Sunday, but it begs the question, why are their hearts so gripped by fear? I want you to picture this. Put yourself in their shoes. Jesus had personally called you. You left everything and everybody to accompany him. You traveled with him. You lived with him. You worked alongside of him. You listened intently to his teaching. You marveled at his many miracles and works. You laughed with him. You cried with him. He has been right by your side, rejoicing in all of your triumphs and rebuking you in your many failures, all the while training you to succeed him after his departure. You were there when he was arrested. You witnessed his unfair trial. You watched him die the cruelest death known to man. You then saw his body torn to shreds. You heard him gasp his final breath. You were horrified when the soldier drove his spear into his side. And then you watched his lifeless body come down off the cross, placed into a borrowed tomb. And as the heavy stone rolled to bury your master and your Lord forever, you assume that your dreams and your mission were also buried right along 
with him. And now you wonder, did I just waste the last three years of my life? I mean, is this what I left my home and my family and my vocation for? And then you're thinking, are we next? I mean, we saw what the authorities did to him and they know that we were with him. They know that we are his disciples. Are they coming for us next? So the disciples go to a hiding place. They go inside the house. They lock the door. They grieve together, hoping for their lives to be spared. They're fearful. They are literally scared to death on top of being in despondent grief over the loss of their master, Lord, and friend. But against this backdrop, Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them, and when he does come to them, he quickly dispels their fears. He says, peace be with you. Is that not what he says in verse 19? He says, peace be with you. As a matter of fact, he says it three different times in this entire episode. You see it again in verse 21 and also in verse 26. And what Jesus is doing here is he is hearkening back to John chapter 14. Because in John chapter 14, verse 27, before Jesus dies, before he is arrested, he is giving his disciples hope for what is to come. And here's what Jesus told them before he was arrested and killed. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so what Jesus does is he appears to them in their fear. He appears to them in their grief and he reminds his disciples of the truth he told them before he was arrested and killed. And that familiarity brought great comfort to their fearful hearts. The familiar words of his mouth and the familiar sound of his voice bring gladness to the disciples' hearts. We see that in verse 20. There's something about a familiar voice in times of fear and despondency, right? I vividly remember a comical instance of this several years ago in my life. I was in that time of limbo that you were in, kind of like no man's land in between buying a, a new house. And so I needed a place to stay for a couple of days until I could move into my new house. And so I was invited in by one of my best friends in the world, one of our former pastors here. He and his wife invited me to stay with them for a few days until I could get settled in. And so I was put in the guest room of their apartment where they also kept their Yellow Labs crate. The Yellow Lab whose name is Brady because that's what you name your, your children and your pets if you live in New England, right, Brady. And so the pup and I roomed together. So I guess for a couple of days, I can technically say that I was roommates with Brady, but we'll just leave it there. Now, here's what you need to know. <clears throat> I'm extremely close to this couple. Like we are family of family. Do you get that? So like we don't have blood relation, but we are family of family. And so when they first got the dog, they immediately started calling me Uncle Chris. 
And whether you know it or not, the dog also referred to me as Uncle Chris. You say, I didn't know dogs could talk. They can say anything we make them, all right? So the dog knew me as Uncle Chris too. Don't judge me because there are all different kinds of things that we make our pets say. So anyway, I'm Brady's Uncle Chris. And so the challenge of the first night is that Brady went to bed earlier than I did. And it was very important that I not wake Brady because he would probably get really unsettled and want to wake up and he would wake up the entire house. And so the challenge for me was whenever I went into the guest room in order to go to bed as I had to put on my best ninja skills and make my way to the bed, take off what I needed to take off, get into bed in order to go to sleep without waking Brady. And so my ninja skills really paid off. I get into the bed, I pull the covers up over me and there's silence. And I'm thinking I have won the night. Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible has nothing on me. <clears throat> 10 seconds later, there is this really low yet intense growl coming from the foot of my bed on the floor. And so I did what any other loving uncle would do when he hears his niece or nephew cry and whimper in the home of his parents. I just rolled over and ignored it. But I could only ignore it for so long because that low growl and whimper started getting louder and louder. And so I quickly raised up in bed and I firmly but yet lovingly said, Brady, it's Uncle Chris, be quiet. And remarkably, he stopped and never said another word for the rest of the night. There's something about hearing a familiar, comforting voice in our times of trouble, disquieting moments, and in our fear. And the Bible tells us here that the disciples saw Jesus and they were glad. And I want you to fast forward 2,000 years later. I want you to know this today, brother, sister, friend, listening this morning. Jesus Christ still turns fear into gladness for any of his followers. I know that right now there is a whole lot of fear permeating our country. People are scared. You might be scared today. You might be scared that your loved one is going to die you might be scared that you are going to get sick. You might be scared that you could be laid off from your job. You, you, you might be scared today because you've already been laid off from your job. I get it. Fear is real. Those emotions are real and they grip our hearts. But here's the comfort today. If Jesus turned these grief grief-stricken disciples fear into gladness on that first Easter morning, he will turn your fear into gladness today when you encounter him. Gladness comes when you see Jesus for who he is. It's what the scriptures tell us. The disciples were glad when they saw him. And so this morning, I want you to see Jesus for who he is in the scriptures. And when you see him, he will take your fear and turn it into gladness because he transcends your circumstances and he dispels your fears. The second reality that we learn from this text this morning, when a, when a resurrected Jesus encounters you is this, Jesus will pursue you wherever you are today. 
Jesus will pursue you wherever you are today. Now, when Jesus comforted the hunkered down disciples, there was a notable absence. Thomas wasn't with them. Now, we don't know where he was. We don't know why he wasn't with the rest of the group, but the scriptures tell us that he wasn't there that day. And it's clear from the text that he was particularly mournful and hopeless over the entire episode. We, we see that in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, let's be honest this morning. Thomas gets a pretty bad rap. I mean, we call him Doubting Thomas. Imagine for a moment what it would be like for the next 2,000 years for your name to live into perpetuity and you're just known as Doubting Sarah or Doubting Jim or, or, or Doubting John. Like that, that's just a really bad rap for you, right? Because here's why. Don't miss this notable truth. After word about Jesus' resurrection, after that word reached the disciples and even some of them saw the empty tomb, basically none of them had a positive response. The only, the only apostle, the only disciple of Jesus who is written about in the scriptures as having a very positive response of belief to the empty tomb was the apostle John. All the rest of them are nowhere to be found with active belief. But no one talks about doubting Matthew. No one talks about doubting Bartholomew. But because of this encounter with Jesus, we know about doubting Thomas. So poor Thomas, right? But John chooses to write about this personal encounter between Jesus and Thomas. And so let's look at it together. It's a week later. The disciples are back in the house with the door locked. It's a week later, they've seen Jesus, but they're still locked behind the door in the house. <clears throat> and what appears to be a Groundhog Day moment, Jesus entered, stood among them again, and again said, peace be with you. He wanted Thomas to have the full post-resurrection experience, just like the other disciples had. And then he personally addressed Thomas in a very relevant and specific way. Jesus actually instructed Thomas to do what Thomas had demanded. Jesus met Thomas where his doubts and fears had crippled him. Where his doubts had left him on the side, Jesus pursued him and met, and met him right there says in verse 27, Thomas, put, put your finger here and see my hands. Put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. What do we learn here? Jesus will pursue you wherever you are this morning. Wherever your doubts have left you, Jesus will meet you there. Wherever your sin has dirtied you this morning or last night, Jesus will meet you there. Here's an important truth this morning, my friend. 
Jesus is not waiting for you to clean yourself up so that you can bring him the best version of yourself. He's not waiting on you to give up all of your vices or to intellectually understand everything in the Bible before you come to him so that he might be impressed with where you are. No, he comes to you today, just like he pursued Thomas 2000 years ago. You come to Jesus just as you are, broken, dirty, doubtful, confused. You don't bring Jesus the best version of yourself. You bring Jesus what you are and allow him to make you into something even better than you could have ever imagined. Jesus will pursue you wherever you are this morning. Here's a third reality we learn from experiencing and encountering a resurrected Jesus. Number three, Jesus will turn your doubts into worship. He will turn your doubts into worship. Jesus then looks at Thomas and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. So Thomas had doubts. He literally could not believe that the death of Jesus could be redeemed in any positive way. And he certainly could not believe that Jesus appeared to his friends, his other disciples at home. The despondent outlook of Jesus' disciples and the prevailing doubt of men like Thomas actually gives great validity to the resurrection itself because for Christianity's opponents, some of them will actually accuse the disciples of simply fabricating the entire resurrection account just simply for personal gain. But it's really hard to make that case when you recognize and see from the scriptures just how grief-stricken, despondent, fearful, and depressed, doubting the entire episode that they found themselves in. So it's really difficult to believe those myths that are, that are, uh, throne at Christianity. So anyway, Jesus pursued Thomas. He showed him his resurrected body, and then he invites him to believe and to no longer disbelieve. And then look at Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas's proclamation is the most emphatic declaration of Jesus's deity anywhere in the scriptures. Thomas recognized Jesus's divine origin, that this is truly God in the flesh. But do you notice the personal way in which he pronounced it? I mean, Thomas didn't cry out that Jesus was God. He didn't simply cry out that Jesus was the God or someone else's Lord. Thomas proclaimed Jesus as my God and my Lord, his God and his Lord. Thomas pronounces Jesus as both the object of his worship and the master of his obedience. In other words, Thomas falls down before Jesus in both worship and obedience. Jesus changed Thomas's entire life. But he doesn't do it without giving you a teachable insight in verse 29. 
In verse 29, Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You might be listening or watching this today and you may be thinking, well, if Jesus will pursue me today and appear to me in bodily form today, just like he did Thomas, and if he showed me his hands and his feet and his side, then I'll believe and I'll fall down too. Or perhaps you have different demands. You might say, well, if Jesus would just, you fill in the blank. If Jesus would just do this, then I'll believe. But not so fast, friend. Not so fast. Jesus didn't pursue Thomas in this way in order to prove to you that he'll give the exact same personal proof to you, your neighbor, or anyone else on earth. He gave this personal proof to Thomas 2,000 years ago so that you will believe Thomas's testimony today. Thomas believed by seeing. Jesus says that you will be blessed by believing without seeing. So do you wanna be blessed by God today? Then believe the testimony of the scriptures. Believe the testimony of Thomas. Believe the proclamation of Thomas. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Come to Jesus. Profess him as your God as your Lord, and he will turn your doubts into worship just as he did Thomas's 2,000 years ago. The last reality that I want us to see from this text this morning, from this post-resurrection of Jesus, uh, appearance of Jesus to his disciples is this. Jesus will send you on mission with him. Jesus will send you on mission with him. Here's the picture When Jesus appeared to his disciples, yes, he comforted them. He turned their fear into great gladness. He pursued a doubter like Thomas and lovingly revealed himself to him, casting those doubts away and turning those doubts into worship. But I also want you to see that he doesn't just leave them there in their comfort. He doesn't just leave them there in their belief. As we see in so many different encounters with Jesus all throughout the gospels, he encounters them. He turns their belief, their unbelief into belief. He turns their fear into gladness, but then he commissions them on mission. Do you see that in verse 21? Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you all throughout the study of John. What we have seen over and over and over again is we have seen that Jesus came. He came from heaven. He came from God. He came from his throne with God. He entered into our human existence. God sent him to planet earth on mission. And John chapter one tells us that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 10 that the son of man, Jesus, he came to seek after and to save that which is lost. 
Jesus came on a mission to save sinners like you and like me. And the father sent him on that mission. And Jesus tells his disciples, just as the father sent me into the world on mission, I am comforting you. I am bringing gladness to your heart. I'm turning your unbelief into belief so that I might send you on mission with me. And brother and sister, that's the hope that we need to hear this morning on this Easter Sunday. If you are a Christian watching this and listening to this this morning, this is the motivation that we need to be reminded of is that Jesus encounters you. Hear this. Jesus encounters you and changes your life and brings you gladness and dispels your fears, not simply just for the sake of doing it, not just so that we can bask in his presence and enjoy him and that would be the end to which our encounter with Jesus points. No, no. We experience those things with the resurrected Jesus so that he might send us out and we might be mouthpieces of what he has done in our life so that we might compel others to come and bow down at his feet. During this time of social distancing and during these moments of great fear and uncertainty in our culture and in this world where we have really turned digital in everything, brother and sister, we have so many of opportunities right now to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to be the mouthpiece of Jesus. I'll just help you think about a couple of things. Rather than posting conspiracy theories and complaints about the government or complaints about what's going on or more pictures of cats with really weird hairdos, like why not send out messages of hope? Post scripture on your social media walls. Share with others through a simple video. Most of us have some sort of smartphone. Simply flip it around. We love selfies. We love taking pictures of ourselves. We love taking videos of ourselves. Just simply turn it around, take a video, a one minute video, a two minute video, and share how Jesus Christ has changed your life by the gospel and post that on your social media page. Pray for your loved ones. Call your friends and family. Simply ask them how they're doing. Haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. How are you doing with everything? Are there any specific ways that I can pray for you? Are there any specific needs that you have? Can't promise you that I can meet them, but I and my church would sure love to know about them. Brothers and sisters, we are on mission with Jesus. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, this time of social distancing during this pandemic, this can't just be seen as an extended snow day. This can't just be seen as an extended vacation with our families. This is an opportunity to be on mission with Jesus. He has sent us on mission in peacetime and in wartime, in safety and in danger, in times of comfort and in times of inconvenience. So know this this morning, when a post-resurrection, when a resurrected Jesus encounters you, he sends you on mission with him. Our faith is a come and see faith but it's also a go and tell faith. And many of us are tuning in week after week and we're coming and we're seeing. Brother and sister this morning, hear from our savior himself. It's time to go and it's time to tell. 
I want to close this morning by sharing the testimonies of two spiritual giants of the 20th century. Two influential preachers, two intimate walks with Jesus, but two vastly different finishes to their lives. Later in his life, Billy Graham was asked by one of his board members at a dinner, of all your experiences in ministry, what have you enjoyed the most? Was it your time spent with presidents and heads of state or was it? And before he could finish his next sentence, Dr. Graham swept his hand across the table as to just push the suggestions onto the floor. And he replied, no, none of that. By far the greatest joy of my life has been my fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me, having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me. This has been the highest pleasure of my life. For any Christ follower watching or listening to this message this morning, who among us wouldn't want to say this when we're 80 years old? But then there's the example of Chuck Templeton. Templeton was practically a household name in the 1950s and 1960s. He was a very prominent pastor in Toronto, Canada, and close friend of Billy Graham. The two of them together helped found Youth for Christ in Canada. He preached in front of crowds, masses of people all across North America. But tragically, Templeton isn't remembered for this. He's mostly remembered for his renunciation of the faith. He went on to fame and fortune as an avowed skeptic and agnostic. And Lee Strobel, who very famously wrote uh, The Case for Books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. When he was researching his book, The Case for Faith, he traveled to Toronto to interview Templeton. Then at 83 years old and declining in health, the former preacher vigorously defended his agnostic rejection of God. And then towards the end of the interview, Strobel asked Templeton point blank how he felt about Jesus. Instantly, his entire demeanor softened. He spoke in adoring terms about Jesus, concluding, in my view, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. And then as his voice began to crack, he haltingly said, I miss him. And then tears flooded Templeton's eyes as he sobbed and he wept. You see, when Jesus is seen for who he really is, whether you are among the faithful or whether you are among the skeptic, he moves to the core of your heart like no one else can. And on this Easter Sunday, 2020, I want to implore you to consider this marvelous, matchless life, his life, his death, his resurrection. I want you to see him this morning and I want you to be glad 
I want you to allow him to pursue you wherever you are this morning. I want your doubts to turn into worship. And if you're a believer this morning, I want you to see him and hear him and join him on mission today and this week. Why? Because that's what happens when you encounter the resurrected Jesus. That's what happens when you see him for who he really is. And through the scriptures this morning, that's what you've done. You've encountered the resurrected Jesus this morning through the written and powerful word of God. Father, I pray for these people this morning. I pray for them as they consider the words, the life, the example of Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray this morning that you would guard us from simply being in awe of a story, that we would be guarded against simply seeing this as another routine Easter, because really today there's nothing routine about this day anyway. Father, I pray that you would use the unique circumstances of this Easter to cause us to hear you in a way that might be different than we've heard you before. I pray that you would pierce our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would turn our fear into gladness. I pray that you would turn our doubting into worship. And I pray that you would take us from immobility and sending us into mission this morning. And I pray today, would be a day that lives would be changed because your spirit is at work in people's hearts and then you gave them the courage to reach out and tell someone else what you're doing in their life. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen.